This is Barbara Bain. You are listening to TV Confidential. Greg Airbar is with us for another look at recently released DVD or streaming titles that we think you will find of interest. You can read Greg's animation spin column twice a month at cartoonresearch.com. What do you have for us tonight? We have the TV series that was a bridge between 2001, I would say, and Star Wars to some. Space 1999. Operative word is to some, because this is a show that has its detractors. Oh, boy, does it. Some, some call the second season a lost in space 1999. Now, at, at the same time, some of the criticisms, and we can get to this a little bit later, I think are unduly harsh because it was the, you correct me if I'm wrong, it was first attempt at live action television done by... Uh, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson, the British pioneers of live-action puppet animation, you know, Fireball XL5, Captain Scarlet, um, all those other shows that they did in the 60s and early 70s. Well, actually, they started with a uh, spy show that was uh, called The Protectors. Oh, with, with, Rob, with Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn and Nyree Dawn Porter... And the role of the handsome guy was played by Tony Anhalt, who appeared in the second series of Ace 1999. And Tony, uh, another Tony whose last name is blanking on me, he did, he did the theme song, Avenues and Alleyways, which is a very popular song in the UK. He's, he's either a British performer or an Australian performer, but he was a big, big hit with Avenues and Alleyways with the Protectors. Oh, that was Tony Christie. Tony Christie, thank you very much. That's right, I, I'd forgotten that the Andersons had also done The, the Protectors. They also did a uh, series called UFO. All right, so Space 1999 was not their first rodeo with live-action television, but at the same time, there's no gray when it comes to Space 1999. You either like the show or you don't. Uh, yeah, kind of. Um... But you have to separate out the first, as they call it, a series in the UK, the first series from the second series, because they're practically two different shows. Uh, several things were factors between the two. The biggest ones were that Sylvia Anderson and Jerry Anderson divorced between them, and she was quite a creative force in the first series. And that's the first thing. And she was more of the actor's connection, the design, the mood, the more uh, metaphysical feeling of the series. And Jerry was more of the mechanics of it. He famously said he didn't particularly like actors. He related to the effects of the puppetry. <laughs> <laughs> And then the second series was helmed by the infamous Fred Freiberger, who took over the third season of Star Trek. And it's much maligned for it. Yes, yes. And he did pretty much the same thing to Space 1999 that he did with Star Trek. And 
you could say that he may not have been treated totally fairly. You might say that he was in over his head. He may have claimed more skill than he really had, and he may have been given much more power than he should have been given because the show... But it wasn't just him. It was the New York office because this was an international production. Mm -hmm. ITC. The New York office was calling the shots. And before, Sylvia used to push back, and Jerry really didn't seem to back her. A lot of this I got out of that wonderful book. By Robert Wood. Robert Wood, along with uh, Anthony Wynn, are the uh, co-authors of Barry Morse's biography, Remember with Advantages. And uh, Robert went on to uh, write a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Space 1999. It's actually called Destination Moon Base Alpha. Destination Moon Base Alpha, which is a behind-the-scenes look at the making of Space 1999. But the series was an ongoing struggle between the American way of doing television versus the British way of doing television, almost from the outset. The original scriptwriter for the pilot had a certain way of doing things and sort of overrode it and it was too long and had to be cut and yet he came highly recommended according to Jerry Anderson who does commentary on the Blu-ray which is fantastic looking by the way that our good friends at Shout Factory have just released and Barbara Bain and Martin Landau also had a, a great deal of say in the scripts where they would have long meetings discussing how American television had to have cliffhangers before each commercial. So the show had a lot of fingers in it. The first season, though, too many, is the better of the two. And there are an awful lot of things to recommend it, really. Uh, I think that it is almost 2001 Space Odyssey, the TV series. There was nothing on TV like this, with the possible exception of UFO, which this was going to originally be before it really was turned into a huge, expensive international production. Really, Anderson kind of was weighed down by how big this show became. This was a very, very expensive show for its time. And although some of the effects are more obvious than others, you have to take into consideration that some of the people involved in this show went right on to Star Wars, and this show was being made when Star Wars was being made, and some of them walked right into Star Wars from it. That's why it's kind of a, a gateway from 2001 to Star Wars. There were some people directly involved. There were two different production facilities where they shot the show with the people and where the special effects were made. It was also the first TV series to depict space with a high contrast, you know, light spaceships against dark backgrounds, which television never really had before. Lost in Space and Star Trek had highly colorful backgrounds. Uh, one of the reasons they did that was to save money they actually reversed the film in the camera to get the ships and various things superimposed so that you rarely saw a ship on top of a planet or anything. They were usually separate. But there's a super high contrast. And on Blu-ray, some of these images are really, really impressive. And the miniatures are highly detailed. 
So it's a stepping stone to what Lucas and his people did. And there are certain episodes with docking stations. There is one that has, and I'm not going to give it away, but has almost the identical ending of Alien. Almost, I, You just know that the people that went on to make big tentpole m- movies watched the series in the 70s. Greg Airbar is on the line with us via Skype as we take a look at the Blu-ray release of Series 1 and Series 2, as it is known in the UK, Season 1 and Season 2 of Space 1999, the show that Greg describes as the gateway in many respects between 2001, A Space Oddity, A Space Odyssey, and... That's what Mad called it. Yes. (laughs) 2001, A Space Odyssey, and... Star Wars, both seasons, both series of Space 1999 available on Blu-ray through our friends at Shout Factory. And Greg also mentioned a Destination Moon Base Alpha, the excellent behind-the-scenes look at the making of Space 1999, written by our friend Robert Wood. That's also available wherever fine books are sold. You mentioned that uh, Sylvia was more involved with the casting, the uh, the liaison between the actors during the first year of Space 1999. I would imagine that means she had a hand in Martin Landau and Barbara Bain being on the show as well as Barry Morse. Well, actually, Bain and Landau were the only two she didn't, and she actually opposed. She she didn't mind having American leads, but she didn't think that they were right for the series, and there were other actors that she'd rather have, but they were brought in because they were really very, very successful having come off of Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. and the company, ITC, wanted them very badly, and the negotiations were intense to have them do the show, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Jerry Anderson going to Beverly Hills, sitting by the pool with them, discussing the show, and the money literally down to almost the last second of whether they would do it or not. She didn't feel they were suitable, and frankly, when you watch the show, you can see them sort of figuring out who their characters are. Martin Landau is a very different kind of lead for a science fiction show. He's an administrator. He's almost a corporate lead. He's not a captain. He's not Kirk. He's not Picard. He is a person who was a scientist who ran a facility. So he, and because it's Martin Landau, he has an intensity and an anger. So the way he runs things is very different. Barbara Bain is kind of exploring. There's a lot of extremes. She might, be hysterical at one moment, but she might be very cool at another. And it kind of fits the series because the Alphans are not space travelers. In the first season, they are displaced because they didn't intend to do this. The moon, there's an explosion on the moon because of corporate interference from Roy Dotrice, who's excellent in the show. He does two episodes. The second one he's in with Christopher Lee is really good. In fact, Christopher Lee's makeup is sort of iconic. If you see him, you may have seen that image before. He's got a, like a long flowing wig, right? White, like yeah, a, okay. With a big head, you know, <laughs> sort of. Up. And 
Roy Beltrice is the bureaucrat, the corporate guy. The, I don't know if it's government or corporate, but he's forcing them. And they're, it's basically a toxic dump of nuclear waste, and it becomes a problem, and they're not going to fix it. They're being forced. Things are going wrong, and it results in an explosion, and the moon flies off into space. But they have no control over it. Most of their adventures, they're run out of time. We have four more hours before the moon's going to go out of this orbit, and we got to get going. They have no control over their futures, and they're figuring out what to do in space. They don't necessarily have food or water. Now, that varies. The number of people on the base varies. There's a whole, not a whole lot of consistency because the show had to go into production so haphazardly that the writers had to keep figuring this out too. But it fits the show because the situation of these people was, let's figure it out as we go along. So the first season reflects that very much, the exploration, the whole idea of why are we here. The whole theme of the season is there is this greater being, this mysterious force that is leading us somewhere and we don't know what it is but by the second season it was like let's make it lighter let's make it funnier let's make it colorful because the first season was very much grays and whites and blacks like 2001 let's lighten it up let's add an interesting vulcan like character uh catherine shell very good as maya who is a uh, who she can transform into anything that is a living thing so it could be animals it can be buggies. She was know. like she was like the original Odo. Kinda, yeah. So she's a wonderful character and she's a wonderful actress, but some of her situations are ridiculous because well she could solve it right away. So you have that story problem. But it isn't her fault if the stories don't work. And there are occasional episodes where we learn about her. Um, but there are occasional really awful episodes. One in particular which is just like the Great Vegetable Rebellion on Lost in <laughs> where Martin Landau's character picks a flower and then the trees get mad and, oh my gosh, it's it, it doesn't have a giant carrot, but it has pretty lame costume monsters. And that'll happen too. So sometimes it's embarrassing. Martin Landau would write all over the script, this is, I will not... He was very pro the show. He would promote it like crazy because he felt it wasn't promoted enough. They didn't show it at a good time in Britain. They never felt like the UK was really behind it enough. So they, the two of them would promote it like crazy. But in the second season, he said, I don't feel like I can promote this. These scripts are just not any good. I, I This is totally out of character. This is crazy. But in the first season, occasionally there would be flashes of brilliance about existence, about life and death. There were long sequences that were stressing character, and it was it was something different. The problem was everybody wanted Star Trek again, and it was being promoted as the biggest thing since Star Trek, the most expensive show ever on TV, and it wasn't Star Trek. It wasn't even close to being what Star Trek was. Bane and Lando weren't Kirk and, and Spock and McCoy. They were, you know them and so it was a letdown to a lot of audiences yet when you look at it now out of context and you look at what they were trying to do 
there are, like I said, it's almost like the nursery rhyme. When it is good, it is very, very good. And when it is bad, it is horrid. And even in the second season, there's some pretty cool episodes. You'll say, gee, this is pretty darn cool. Where was this show? <laughs> ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Greg Airbar is on the line with us as we take a look at uh, Seasons 1 and Season 2 of Space 1999, the... Uh, often maligned, but much better than it actually is given credit for a series from the mid-1970s that, as Greg uh, points out, in many respects served as a bridge between 2001 A Space Odyssey and Star Wars. Both Season 1 and Season 2 of Space 1999 are available on Blu-ray through Shell Factory. Now, you mentioned that, um, in many respects, both Landau and Bain, Martin Landau and Barbara Bain, were figuring out their characters as they went along in the early episodes of Space 1999. When you said that, I thought of a common criticism of Landau and Bain in Space 1999, whereas in both—and again, it's un, it is unfair to compare— Space 1999 to Mission Impossible because they are two totally different characters, two totally different approaches. But a common criticism I have heard of Bain and Landau in Space 1999 is that they seem very distant to each other. No warmth, no, I mean, zero chemistry. Forget the fact that, you know, they were married at the time, that there's, there's a very distant type of quality to their performances in those early episodes of Space 1999. That makes sense when you say that behind the scenes they were figuring out what they were doing so that maybe that came across perhaps not deliberately but subconsciously in their on-screen performances. That's addressed in the book that in the first season they were supposed to be caring for each other but they were not supposed to be demonstrative. That was sort of the way they were written, and they were very low-key, to be sure. And that was, they would, especially Barbara Bain, they were picking on her a lot for being wooden. She was, I think she was trying to go for complex, but sometimes her character was inconsistent. There was an episode where they became cave people. And she was screaming hysterically in one scene, and she said, I'd never done that before. So she said, I just let out a huge scream, and it was something that I'd never done. So it was still a new thing for them. The second season, they were told to be more demonstrative. So it went completely in the other direction. Suddenly they were not so much touchy-feely, but they were in love, and it wasn't a hidden thing. It was sort of the direction that they were taking. The biggest problem between the two seasons, more than just the silly stories, was they had a nice supporting cast in the first season that was starting to gel. And Freiberger decided to fire everybody. (laughs) And there were only two 
cast members that came into the second season. One of them was Nick Tate, who played Alan Carter. He was an Australian actor who balanced Landau and Bain because he was a impulsive, hot-headed pilot. He was the guy with the emotions. And there was another problem there. Martin Landau was a middle-aged, aging actor who could be threatened by a younger performer who was perhaps eclipsing him. And there is a very famous episode of Space 1999. And it may look cheesy, by comparison to what's being done now, especially with CG, it's called Dragon's Domain. That has one of the Italian actors that, by contract, they were required to include. The show is partially financed by an Italian company, and so they had Italian actors in this episode. And there's an interesting backstory. Well, that explained the funky theme to the first season. A week ago. I love that theme. Yeah. It's very groovy. Yes. But it's it's it seems it it doesn't seem to belong to a science fiction show, but I digress. Well, true, but the second season theme sounds more like something that would be on like Kojak or something. <laughs> <laughs> when you hear the second season theme, you're like, bring back that other theme, please. I mean, I I don't mind the second season theme, but I really I like the Barry Gray music. Yeah. I like the symphonic. The big sound and the big echo and the scoring is actually pretty darn cool. And RCA put out an album of that music and actually, and there is are, are also some CDs. What's interesting is the film was released in Italy with a completely different score that was very electronic and sort of alternative by Ennio Morricone, which huh. is completely different. It was Spazio in T99. <laughs> Barry Gray also this, did the uh, music for, he either did the music or the vocals for uh, Fireball XL5. Oh, yeah, he did He did pretty much all their stuff. He actually came out of retirement, I believe, to do this show. Huh. I think it was his last. Uh, the Mike Sam Singers also did vocals for, their, like, Supercar and stuff like that. Greg Arabar is with us as we take a look at the Shout Factory Blu-ray release of Space 1999 Season 1. And season two. We'll take a quick timeout, then we'll talk some more with Greg here on TV Confidential. Attention, timeshare owners. This is an urgent consumer alert from the Timeshare Exit Hotline, a national company specializing in helping consumers legally get out of their expensive timeshare contract. Our experienced partners are offering you a way to legally get rid of your timeshare. You'll never pay another timeshare maintenance bill again, and all your obligations will be terminated. You can begin saving today. Even if you've tried another company to get rid of your timeshare, call and see if we can help you. At the Timeshare Exit Hotline, we only accept payment after an agreement has been made to get you out of your timeshare. Make this complimentary free call and learn how our honest partners can help anyone, anywhere, legally get out of their timeshare nightmare. 800 715 6093. 800 715 
that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. Uber is the mobile app that connects you with a driver for immediate transportation. Request a ride at the tap of a button and you have a driver curbside in minutes. You can choose to be driven in a black car, SUV, or you can choose UberX, the low-cost Uber for a ride in a hybrid or mid-range car. Payment is seamless and cashless. Build to your card on file with no need to tip. Enter the promo code TV Confidential after you download the app to receive a free first ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.